Don't worry, everyone. It's Jonathan Agnew here. Everything's going to be fine. Welcome back to the Limehouse podcast. It's good to see you. Nice to see you again. If you haven't been here for, you know, for, for a while, you know, welcome back. If, you, if this is your first time, hello. If you've, you've, tuned, you've tuned in to listen to, to me talking to Jonathan Agnew. Well, well done, because this is a good one. This is a really good conversation. We talk all kinds of cricket. We, and we talk all kinds of life. So don't worry if, if your cricket isn't your thing. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at all. Wonderful guy. This Jonathan Aguilar. I mean, for me, this was this was it was crazy when this came through. When his agent was like, "Yeah, Jonathan would love to talk to you," I was like, Re- "Really? What? what? Okay, okay, brilliant, fantastic. Well, I mean, you know, you can't believe it. Speaking to one of your heroes, and and he is. He's a hero to a lot of people. Well, a hero, you know, legend to a lot of people. He's the voice of summer. If, if you're anything like me, I know people that, that that listen to TMS Test Match Special. By the way, that's the basically the radio show that uh, broadcasts the cricket um, if, you, if you're one of those people that doesn't even like cricket I know people that don't like cricket and they have it on in the background as a friendly little a friendly voice so if you do love cricket this is a this is probably quite a big one actually because he, he is the voice of summer he's and a lovely guy always very careful about meeting your heroes he, there's the saying, there's the saying, and it's it's there for a reason. But this was wonderful. Such a lovely guy. And um, so relaxed. I've got to say, like, I, I was very trepidatious about setting the podcast up again and knowing that it's in, you know, well, it was pre-lockdown. But all the same, when I really started getting going again, I really started thinking, is, is Skype a good idea? You know, you're not going to get that one-to-one, right? But you do, because they're relaxed. They're way more relaxed than they would be. And I, I don't have to go to an office or something cold and horrible and miserable. And, and they're relaxed and I'm relaxed and it's cool. And it really, I think it really comes across. Yeah, you know, the, the audio isn't as perfect, but it's not that far off. You know, you, you kind of forget after a while anyway. Uh, so, yeah, I think in these tough times, it this is the voice you want to hear. He's a lovely man. He's got some really great stories and um yeah i'll take you back to the summer last year God, I remember that blimey charlie when all was well in the world well it wasn't was it it was brexit but my god who wouldn't give what what you wouldn't give to just go back to just bitch about brexit my god but anyway look if, if you want to do something good this um this this week this day whatever I don't have a sponsor for the show and I, I don't have a Patreon site. I don't, you know, I don't ask you for any dollar, any money. What what I would ask you to do though, is donate a little bit of money to, if you can, and I say donate, this is more of a tip because there's a guy that used to kick around my local town called Gavin Gavin Thomas. He was a, he's a guitarist and he goes from pub to pub making his, making his living, um, entertaining the masses, as it were. And he's struggling, man. Like like all entertainers, it is. It's hard to, isn't it? It's really hard to think about the different avenues that are that are being affected affected by this terrible fucking thing. And frankly, the N- the NHS is taking an absolute 
kicking, you know. And Tom Moore is an absolute legend. And every and I've I've donated him. I know apparently the whole entire fucking country's donated to that guy, and it's absolutely incredible. Absolutely, it's mind, it's mind blowing. And you know, maybe one day I'll chat with someone that can explain just the wondrousness that is is Tom Moore. But at the moment, I, I just want to focus your minds momentarily on the the, the kind of the, the, the smaller aspect, or, or not necessarily the smaller aspect, but the slightly lower down the order the people that are really suffering in the entertainment industry the musicians you know for example you go out you watch a band how did that band get famous they were just given a record deal day one no they had to struggle they had to gig 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 they had to get you know earn the right to get to get there earn petrol money and stuff you know sell merchandise so they can fucking fund another album well this is this is important you know there are going to be musicians that are essentially screwed you know because of this so if you do feel generous you do feel like giving a bit of dollar to someone who part of an industry that's being largely forgotten then please do and this is how you can do it you go to paypal.me forward slash gav guitar and here it is again, okay, so listen up, paypal.me forward slash gav guitar. Okay, and now he, why would you give him money would be the first question you'd be asking me and I'd be asking that to you. He does a live session on Facebook every like Tuesday and Saturday. He does awesome covers of songs and he did a, a really beautiful rendition of Piano Man. Fucking harmonica in there. It had me in tears, man. It was absolutely beautiful. And uh, yeah, so, it's, you know, you get something for your money and he does the, these live streams on Facebook. It's fantastic on a Saturday and a Tuesday night. So you get something for your money as well. So if you feel like that, if you feel like being super generous and lovely and just um, reaching out to that side of the, the the industry that is struggling, then please do. Anyway, look, I hope you are well. I hope you are surviving mentally. And I hope physically you're doing okay. And that goes to your friends and family. And I know it's a tough time. You know, it is. It's it's terribly shit <laughs> let's be honest it's terribly shit and if, if you're anything like me you've, you've managed to join a bunch of quizzes with mates and had a few beers and had a laugh or managed to just stretch your legs in the sun for a little bit and, and appreciated this early spring sun because it's phenomenal but it let, let's be honest guys let's just let's lay, lay it out on the table here it's gonna be okay it really is going to be okay long run we're going to stick together we're going to love each other more than we ever have we're going to pull together and then on the other side we will feel so much better we will feel so much better because we've been we've been through this together we've, we've we've come through we can get through this there's nothing we can get you know there's nothing that can stop us trust me i've been to the other side it's beautiful i mean you know it was a dream but still but fundamentally, before I start completely losing you, um, look after yourself. If you feel like giving some money to to Gav 
and his guitar, then please do. It mean it will mean the world to him, and it will really help someone. So look after yourself and really enjoy this conversation, because you will. Well, I saw you yeah. did Peter Egan the other day, so I thought if, if Peter Egan said yes, that's okay, he's all a bit of a hero of mine. Oh, really? So, Why is Peter Egan a hero of yours? I don't know, really, because I, I was disappointed. I, I hoped he might like cricket, but I, I don't think he does. But I just always rather liked him as the characters that he's played and so on. So, you know, yeah. in, in a shallow sort of a way. No, it's funny, isn't it, though? Because I've, I've always thought that as well. And I've always found that if you find someone that you like in life that also likes TMS and or cricket, yes. and you already like them anyway, it's just like the crowning glory. Well, it is. Like, it is. But know. unfortunately, I seem to be finding people like John Helliwell was my one of my absolute all-time heroes, the saxophone player in Supertramp. Oh, and yeah, I took yeah. ages to track him down, finally did. Yeah, and um, it turned out that he he doesn't like cricket at all. But he said, "But I went to school with someone who turned out, I think, to be fairly good." I said, "Oh yeah," and, and I knew um, where he, he was from, so in Yorkshire. And uh, it turned out that he was at school with Peter Lever, who okay. was my absolute cricketing hero. Oh right. So okay. the whole thing yeah. sort of married up. And I know John very well now. He came and taught me the saxophone on TMS one lunch break. <laughs> So, uh, so that I think I remember that one. Uh, no, it's a lovely like, man. Yeah, God. So that because it, it is it is really weird how you, you you do. I think not so much now, but maybe when I was growing up, maybe up to my early twenties. If you found someone that liked cricket, it a mate or whatever, it was always like an instant little yeah. club. You know, a club that no one else but. Plenty of people belong to, but you know, not many people. You know, no, no, we all have our, we all got our different bits out of it. I think, don't we? Yeah, and where? I mean, was that like was that like it for you when you were a kid? Like you know, twelve, thirteen. Was oh, when I was well, when I was a kid, I was um, I was just a typical fanatical cricket fan, really. You know, yeah. keeping things um, interested in statistics to a point, um, but for me, it's always been about playing and about the and about the players. Um, and that's always been the case. I mean, when I played for Leicestershire, I never knew what my building figures were at the end of the day, or I never certainly right. didn't, didn't care, it didn't matter. But I mean, I'd all, I was I was always uh, I suppose I was always trying to get a wicket. You get some bowlers who were just desperate to never have a run scored off them. Right. Well, yeah, I'd yeah, yeah. I'd rather go for a few and get a couple of wickets, and I was I was more yeah. that sort of cricketer. And so the the the, the, you know, the averages and stats didn't really bother me. But then I played with a guy called Gordon Parsons, right? Yeah. Who actually married Hansi Cronier's sister. But there you go. Um, and he would <laughs> know everybody's bowling figures as he walked off at the end of the evening. So he would know mine, his, Les Taylor's, Paddy Cliff's. Anyway, he, he just. But I, I thought it was a bit of a sign of insecurity, really, because he was kind of wanted to make sure that he was still all right, you know, and he was still worth his place in the team and yeah, yeah, stuff think- like that. It is funny though, because it's all, and some people just have, especially within cricket, you can get real OCD nuts about it. Can't oh, you? yeah. Because yeah. the, 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 um, the analyst, not the analyst on your show, the, is it Andrew? The, the chat Andrew Sampson. Yeah, he's extraordinary, yeah. man. Yeah. He, that is extraordinary. And yeah, but he, he knows it. I mean, he actually, yeah. he actually knows a lot of the stuff, which is incredible. I, I remember I, I was driving with him somewhere in South Africa, giving him a lift somewhere, and we were talking away. And I said, I said hang on, Andrew. I said, do you. Do you think that your brain? I mean, are you thinking in numbers? <laughs> and because like, I know I think in words, you know, I just think about words, and you know, that's how it works. Yeah. And he thought about it, and he said, uh, he said, yeah, I think I do. I think I do. I think I'm thinking in numbers. You know, that's how he's, he's, he's like he's got some massive computer on his shoulders, right, uh, right. That could just has got a head for numbers. He, he is just somehow 
I don't know. I mean, I'm a bit numbers dyslexic, I think. But he, he's just got a memory and a massive capacity for understanding what numbers are and what how it, how they work. Yeah, and that lovely voice as well. Yeah, he's a, he's a lovely bloke. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he's not the least bit. Dry. Yeah, he sounds a bit dry, but he's not. He's, yeah. a, he's a lovely sense of humour. I bet. I bet. He's a top man. But so, so yeah. I mean, in, in your in your youth, like, when did? I don't know whether it's a really obvious question to ask, but I, I suppose I ask it anyway. But when did you realise you? Because when I started out with cricket, I was a bit like you, perhaps. I, I loved. I, I just loved playing it, and I loved being in 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 and around guys playing it and what have you. But when did you realise? You know, Jesus, you know, I've got something a little bit um, more than everybody else. Well, I think I think school is obviously a good indicator because yeah, you know, sort of playing for age groups, you know, well above your own age. Which I had to do, then that's a fair sign that you're, you know, you're 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 better than your peers, as you like. So yeah. that's a fair indicator. I mean, I went from uh, you know, school holidays. I was playing village cricket at a reasonable standard around um, around you know, Peterborough and Stamford, and again, so you're playing with men then. Uh, and although they're they're sort of keen village club cricketers, you know, I was fourteen. Jeez, 13 14 yeah. 15 that step so, up is scary though isn't it well it is it is scary but it's probably easy for someone who's bowling fast yeah because you know fast is fast really you know regardless of, of age groups and stuff if you can get a ball down at, at, a, at a good pace at, yeah you know, i was always quite tall um then i was although i was only 14 i was i was still considered fast for village cricket you know so oh, you know but the poor old farmers and that and not seen much didn't seem much <laughs> like it so that was when and my, and my dad my dad realized that you know i had a bit of potential so he took me to alf gover's cricket school okay in yeah. wandsworth a very famous old place alf what? was a lo- lovely old boy wandsworth south london did you say? yeah yeah oh, okay and yeah. uh that was quite rare for us because dad was a farmer in lincolnshire and we didn't well i'm not sure we ever been to london before but um yeah. we went down there and had three or four days with Alf as my 16th birthday present. And Alf, who was a really lovely old fella, um, he, uh, dad, dad still wanted me to be a, a spin bowler, because he was, but I wanted to be a fast bowler. How, how, tall, and, how tall were you then? Well, I was probably, I don't know, six, well, I, I suppose I was probably more or less, you know, my height, I guess, it was six, three, six, four. God, I suppose was at 16. spin bowler, yeah. Yeah, um, but Alf said, "Oh no, no, no! This this boy's going to be a going to be a fast bowler." And from that from that session at sixteen, he got me to the Oval for a trial. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, and 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 Surrey liked what they saw. So it was a massive decision for my parents. So they're Lincolnshire farmers. It wouldn't happen now, but they, and I don't know how they did it because there's obviously no internet or anything. But but they agreed that me, a sixteen-year-old, uh, you know, pretty you know, sort of delicate flower. <laughs> um, you know, boarding school and 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 farming background would go and live in London by myself. God, uh, you know, for whatever it was, ten weeks or three three months, whatever the summer holidays were in those days. So he, they found somebody called Mrs. Bushel, who had a <laughs> she had a, 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 a bed and breakfast in Morden. Oh, okay, and yeah, so, Morden, my God, yeah. Morden. So Dad wow. had worked out that I could get on the tube at Morden, yeah, and go up to Oval. And um, and so that I'd be all right. And so I don't know how I don't know how he found her. I really don't. But I lived yeah. in Mrs. I lived in Mrs. Bushel. Is, is it a case and, of saying it was a different time? It, well, it, yeah. But I mean, can you yeah. imagine many parents doing that? I mean, even then, I mean, it was a hell of a risk. Yeah. Really. 
you know, I knew nobody. Yeah, no, that Didn't is... Know, you know, anybody. Do you think it's just a gamble on your dad's part then? Do you think it's like, look, we've got to get him... Yeah, this has got to work, he's got I to think work so. I mean, I mean, you know, dad had paid for me to go to boarding school. I was, I was a music scholar at Upping, which probably helped a bit. But even so, it's an expensive business. Bloody and man. and so I remember we did have a conversation about whether or not this was right. You know, all the money they'd spent and shouldn't I be better off just getting a career? And But that, it wasn't a very long conversation. And dad knew that I loved cricket and knew that I had, you know, I did have some potential. So, but even so, I mean, you see lots of kids at 16, 17, 18 who have lots of potential mm. and then never make it because each each margin gets narrower and narrower as to how you how you perform at the next level up. And you've got to be... You know, the gulf is bigger and, and all sorts of you know, luck and everything else comes into it. So, oh, yeah. so, you know, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was a bit of a gamble. Mm. But then and, I suppose he probably thought that he, he, you know, he wanted me to have the chance. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, so well, that's what, how I spent those two, those two, when I was 16 and 17. Can you remember those days? That the yeah. I mean, I'll have to be honest with you. I mean, I hated it because mm. um, I didn't know anybody at the Oval. There was a, I thought, a really negative culture there at the time, of old pros who didn't want youngsters coming in and threatening their positions, and oh, it was not a friendly place at all. I said I didn't know anybody. How counterintuitive and, to cricket in itself. How could that's yeah, bizarre. Yeah, but it was a very traditional old place. Yeah. Um, so no, I, I I didn't like it at all. So I spent those two two years there, and it wasn't just me. I mean, I think I felt quite sorry for even the London lads who were there. It was a very unhealthy. Yeah, unhealthy atmosphere there. And I went it, back yeah. to school for my my last term, and the coach at school was a guy called Morris Hallam, who was um, a former uh, Leicestershire captain. And I said to him, Morris, I tell you, if that's professional cricket, I don't, I don't, I, I don't want to do it. It's, it's just not nice. And um, yeah. and he said, Oh, don't worry, it's, it's better than that around. And he phoned Leicestershire up, yeah, and said, Come and have a look at this lad. So Mike Turner, who was the boss at Leicestershire, came three times in that summer term to see me bowl at Uppingham and uh, it rained every time. He never saw me bowl a ball. <laughs> but he oh signed God. me He signed me because Morris told him to. So um, Okay, well, there you go. So that God. was it. So that's how I got into it. So it but it is, you, know, you do need luck and you, doors yeah. open in some cases and in others they don't. And it's, it's, you know, it's not all simply about whether you're talented or not. You do need, you do need some fortune. Yeah. You do need some good luck. You need to be in the right place at the right time. You know, I needed dad to take me to Alf Govers or wherever it was, you know, and, yeah, and, and Mrs. Bushel and, and, you know, for all the time that Mrs. Surrey was pretty Bushel. miserable. I mean, I improved. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it made me grow up a bit as well, being down there by myself. God, I was going to say, mm. like, yeah, did you ever mm. touch base? Did you ever reconnect with Mrs. Bushel? Like, well, day, I, I connected with Mrs. Bushel's son. Who, okay. Because I do talk about Mrs. Bushel sometimes on the radio. Yes. And yeah, so yeah. I did connect briefly with Mrs. Bushel's son, which is rather nice. Was, but, it emo- uh, was it an emotional connection at all? No, or? he just wrote, I think, and I wrote back and said, you know, what a wonderful oh. couple they were. I remember Elvis died, I think, when I was there. <laughs> so I, rem- I remember that. Um, oh. But otherwise, they just looked, looked after me and, you know, it was it, it was, it was, it was a lovely arrangement. Except, sorry, I didn't actually, I didn't, just didn't enjoy it's just yeah, so, the oval. It's, I know it's such a shame, isn't it? It's like I suppose when you're going down there, you know, as a young man, you're thinking, God, this is it. I'm like really, you know, I'm going to be training yeah. and learning from the absolute best. And yeah. was it just what is it like a boozy bullying mentality? When it you wasn't boozy. No, no, it wasn't boozy at all. It was, it was, it was built on, I think, a, a huge amount of tradition, which is what Surrey was very a very traditional club. Still yeah. is to an extent, and I mean, I think this atmosphere lived on for a while. I mean, Alex Stewart sorted it out now. It's a very, it's a very productive. Yeah, uh, you know, one of the best clubs in the country now, no doubt about it. Love but it was, it was very old school. 
the youngsters were seen, not heard. They did all the errands, you know, you were in a little tiny dressing room of your own. and um, So it's like from one boarding school to another almost. Well, it, yeah, it, it, yeah, it is to an extent, but there was this very sort of protectionist feel about the senior pros who would see a youngster coming in and thinking, oh, he'll be having my place in a couple of years. And, um, God. Yeah, it was a bit like that. Whereas yeah. Leicester, it wasn't like that at all. Yeah. No, they were just, it was, it was you know, a lovely country. And who's your, who's your first memory in Leicestershire then, like a fond memory? Um, well, you see, within within uh, about a month or so, I was playing in the first team because there was an injury. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I was <laughs> in the team. And so, um, what, within so, a month? About that. I mean, I, yeah, it wasn't God. far off, I guess. And so um, Ray Illingworth was captain. And, of course, I'd spent much of my childhood um, you know, watching him on the telly as England captain, and suddenly there he was, my my county captain. That, is, that yeah. is amazing. That's unbelievable. Yeah, it I can't is. Even, to be within six, sixteen years old, like yeah. I can't even get. Well, my I was head eighteen. Then. That. I was eighteen. 18 then. Yeah. And there'd just be Ray, the legend that is Ray. Yeah, England, yeah, yeah. There. He was captain. David Gower, of course, the young Gower was playing. So tell me, when you're fielding um, on the boundary, you're thinking you're pinching yourself. Well, I was. I was. I mean, that first game because I was playing against Lancashire, who was all who were my heroes. I mean, Lancashire yeah. was my was my club. Yeah. Um, I used to go there and have a bit of coaching there when I was a kid as well, because my family were all from that part of the world. So, let me say, you know, I mentioned Peter Lever. I mean, he wasn't playing that game. He'd retired by then, but, yeah. but you know, I could go, I could list through that team of people like David Lloyd, uh, Clive Lloyd. You know, you go all the way down, those people, I don't know if Jack Simmons was probably playing, David Hughes, those sort of, that mob, you know, they were, they were all my heroes. And so, well, running in and bowling at David Lloyd... Dear God, because he was captain. David Lloyd was captain of the. My my, my dad when I was twelve, eleven, took me to the seventy-one Gillette Cup final, Lancashire against Kent, uh-huh. uh, and that's where I really that's where I, I, I fell in love with Peter Lever, watching him bowl, yeah. uh, and Bumble was captain of that Lancashire side. So to see him, to, to bowl, I opened the bowling at him in this game, uh, and I got him out fourth ball, clean bowling, <laughs> and um, <laughs> twenty-five. A few years later, he phoned me, the phone rang in the kitchen and this voice came on and he said, uh, what were you doing 25 years ago today? I said, I don't know, Bob, what was I doing? He said, you got me out, you bastard, and put the phone down. <laughs> that sounds so, like him. That does yeah, sound. he was my first wicket. So, oh, God. Wow, yeah. what, can you remember what, because, okay, I started cricket again um, last summer. Oh, right. To, thanks to the World Cup and all yeah. of about five years of going, you've got to do this, you've got to do it. And I finally said, right, I'm, I'm doing How old it. are you now, by the way? I'm 38 now. Oh, so okay, I, yeah. I was at I was at school playing cricket and I got yeah. terrified and had a few nasty balls that put me off for life. Yeah, um, that's what happens. Yeah, it does, isn't it? It's terrible. Yeah. And I I just started again oh. and I I remember my first over. Okay, it's not it's all of 10 months ago for God's sake, but I remember that weight in my limbs. You know the nerves, my my chest pounding. We're talking like f- fives here, sevens, real low level cricket. You yeah, know, yeah, like you know. But I yeah. was so it's a great nervous. feeling though. Yeah, can you remember that sort of that that feeling of bowling your first ball for Leicestershire? Well, my first ball was a massive no ball, huge. Okay, okay. And um, there you go, David you. Constant, I think, was the umpire. He looked a bit shocked. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was over by it was all about Muhammad Amir, no ball, you know. And um, <laughs> I was just, uh, I just sort of floated around. Sadly, I was around. My dad had a bad back, and so he couldn't be there after all those years of oh, putting it in. He was sort of flat on his back, um, so he he couldn't. He couldn't be there, which is a shame. But uh, yeah, that was that was fun. I only played three or four games. I think it was the end of the end of the season. Yeah. Um, Still, that must have been a big deal for. A, well, yeah. You know, played against Hadley. So I played against Not. So got Hadley Rice. 
uh, Randall and those fellows. And Richard Hadley was lovely. I mean, what a nice man. He was a brilliant, uh, you know, brilliant bowler. Yeah. Um, but he was one of those fellows who, even though he played with opposition, I remember sitting in the in the um, the bar there, Trent Bridge, with him, and I was sort of kind of on the fringe. I was with Brian Davison, I think Paddy and stuff, and they knew that I wanted to talk to Richard Hadley. Yeah. And so I slowly sort of got involved in this conversation, you know, with 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 the great man. And I always got on really well with Richard, and um, you know, he was he was one of the great bowlers of my. Of my generation, so yeah. you know, it's just, it's just, he he was just one of those who would always, always help, always pass on advice, and as long as you put the time into, to talk to them, you know, that's um, that was like good. Do you think feel like that's something you've passed down as well? Um, well, I'd like to think that, but I don't think it happens so much these days. Yeah, you know, it's it's a shame that the, you know, I think I think unfortunately one of the it was one of the side effects of bringing a coach in. I think one of the one of the easy things for a, an easy rule for a coach to bring in was discipline, and therefore, right, you don't talk to the opposition because they're horrible, okay. uh, and we're going to be like this, and we're going to be hard. Um, yeah. Whereas that didn't happen, you know. And and, and funny, I've had these conversations with Stuart Broad, who lives up there. You know, he's, I'm good mates with Stuart, and um, we'll have these conversations. Well, oh, you lot, he said, you're always having, you're always on the booze, and I said, no, no, we, we go to the pub, but. I'd go and have a coke, you know. I didn't, I didn't, I've never drunk beer in my life. Um, God, you like it, Matt Letizia. He, he he doesn't drink. Oh, you I know, know I drink. I drink. Yeah. I drink plenty, but I don't. Oh drink no, beer. don't get me wrong. I drink. Matt. <laughs> <laughs> I drink, but I don't drink beer. So I, I just go and have a coke. Um, and You're just missing sit, out, Jonathan. For God's sake. I know with beer. I don't know. I've never, I've never got beer. Um, oh. I drink plenty of wine, but uh, but yeah. I was, but uh, but the point being, you'd go in there and you'd talk uh, to the opposition and and. Yeah. I mean, you try and do it once every match. Go in there and have a good chat. And not only did it get rid of... And I'll tell you what else has changed. And that I went to Grace Road two or three weeks ago to go and see the chief executive there. And uh, she was she went to get a cup of coffee for us or something. And I, was, I said, oh, I've got to go and see the dressing rooms again. So I just potted around the dressing rooms. And what struck me, and it seems like a really trivial thing, but it, it hit me straight away was that they've now put some showers into the visitor's dressing room. Oh, now, okay. now, for anyone else, you'd think, anything, so, what, so what? But actually, again, in most, in most, not all, but, but a lot of, the, especially the, the smaller county dressing rooms, you share the same showers. So you, you all go off at the end of the day, you might have been having your head knocked off by Malcolm Marshall one minute, <laughs> and then you're in the shower within the next. And it kind of, <laughs> it, it just took away all the nastiness and took away all the... I remember John Barkley, I'd, I'd hit him a horrible one in the ribs at Sussex. And he, I was in the shower and, and anyway, in he came, John, and he looked, he pointed to his ribs. I, I appear to have gotten in the way of rather a hostile delivery, he said. And then it was <laughs> bang on his ribs. And I said, I'm sorry, Joe. Oh, no way. And, um, you know, that would be, be the game. And next day you, you were back at it again, you know, and you, you, you're trying to do the hard way. But I don't know whether it was better those days or not, but we certainly knew our, we knew our opposition better. And I think we learnt more from 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 them, uh, and you know I think it was just it, it wasn't it wasn't any softer. You know, Stuart will always, oh, you know, but it wasn't it wasn't all it wasn't softer. It was just I think it was very respectful. You know, if you respect yeah. if you if you meet someone like them, then I think you inherently respect them. I mean, there were there were people course, like, who, yeah. who I played against. Because I liked them, I would never have fallen out with them on the field. Yeah, you know, you still, you know, the, the Kent guys, Chris Cowdery and these people, you know, 
my best friends, really. I'd still, I'd, when he came out of the bat, I'd still be desperate to you know, blow his poles out and, yeah. and you know, get, get the bragging rights. Yeah, but if you didn't have that attitude, then you wouldn't have got to where you were within cricket, right? You know, you well, no, just... I mean, that's, that's where, you know, sometimes perhaps it's, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a mix and that, and that people don't get it sometimes. But, you know, to, to, be, to, be a, to be an international fast bowler, you've got to be, you've got to be pretty spiky. You know, you've got, you've got to. You wouldn't make it. You wouldn't, be, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be able to do it otherwise. I mean, it hurts. Oh, yeah. It's hard work. And, and you've, got to, you've, got to get, you've got to have that very sort of strong, competitive spirit back. I mean, if someone, if someone, if someone hits you for four, you, you, you've got to get in there and nail them. And so... Yeah, you know that. You know, I'm 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 I'm, I'm a cricketer first and foremost. <laughs> right, but, yeah. but but you can still you can still have a bit of you can you can still have that side to your character, but you can also still have a bit of fun and and uh, uh, you know still have a sense of humour and still whatever. But but yeah. it does it does mean that you you know you do stand up for yourself. So I mean, but yeah, absolutely. But that's like in life, you know. That's anything yeah, exactly. in life. If, yeah. if you're gonna, you know, are you gonna mess around? You're gonna dick around, or you're gonna do this properly? You know, and you're gonna oh, absolutely. You know, and and I I I I just think do something properly or just just find something else and stop wasting Absolutely. time. Absolutely, no point, know? no point doing it. But I think I think people do get a bit confused. If that's the right word, or surprised, you know, by you know one minute the sort of uh, fairly happy go lucky sort of voice on the radio who who, who okay, can yeah. who can be quite who, who who will then be quite outspoken or or respond or or, or whatever to stuff. So. It's, it's it's people wanting to put people in boxes, you know. I get it. Yeah. I, I, I on the one hand I get it, but also if you've done any kind of um, journalism, interviewing people, um, which I have, you certainly have, my God. Um, mm. Then you you know that everyone's got a a, a different side, you know, a different side to them. It makes oh them yeah. Tick, you know? yeah ab- absolutely, and that's yeah. It's um, yeah, it, it winds my wife up a bit sometimes, and I'm a bit competitive. Well, when you get when you get competitive, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm the same though. You know, when it comes to bloody anything, even just like it's a summer holiday, playing the swimming pool, we start play, playing keepy uppies with a whatever with a with an inflatable ball. I'm the one stirring right. Oh yeah, we've got to start scoring now. Oh, they, <laughs> no, they can't, they can't lose. They <laughs> <laughs> no, can't lose. But back, back to the um, your career, because I mean, 18 Leicestershire. I can't imagine what the dressing room must be like for you. Um, but wh- when did it? When did those lads start? The older generation start going. Oh, we've got we've got someone here, you know. Um, and and then you start making sort of more regular appearances. And, and well, yeah, I think I mean because it started because I, I, my career started well. Then it was almost immediate that um, you know they the Leicestershire thought they they you know, they. they that I was all right. So I got sent to Australia that first winter. So again, just straight out of school. Good God. Um, yeah, this thing called the Whitbread Scholarship. So yeah. um, it, the, the whole thing was a blur, really. So I played, what, three, three first-class games, I think, and then had this Whitbread Scholarship, which Colin Cowdery was somehow involved with. But anyway, the point was that promising young cricketers, I mean, Ian Botham had been on one, where he and Ian Chappell had their fateful fallout um, they had they had maybe three or four promising young cricketers every year were sent off to Australia to go and play great cricket. Right. Okay. Yeah. So I left school in June or whatever it was that you left school in. I was in that Leicester side for three games, and then sent to Australia. Again, knowing nobody. Um, Bloody and there's a theme going on here, Jonathan. Well, it was far too soon, really. Yeah. I mean, I wasted it because I was, I'd been in oh, boarding okay. school for ten years. 
and I was I was told someone called Frank will meet me at Melbourne Airport. So uh, I got to Melbourne Airport again. I was still eighteen, and um, and Australia in those days was a long way away. You know, was, yeah, it was it was it was a long way away. That's like, what, like a five day trip or something. Well, people didn't go there. You know, it, it, it wasn't like it is now. Don't anyway, come here, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But anyway, there was this chap called Frank waiting for me at Melbourne Airport. Turned out it was Frank Tyson. Uh, who, and I went, okay. I went and lived with him for about a month, and I really had no idea really who he was. Yeah. Uh, I liked him enormously. He was very kind to me, and, he, and then he got me a club. But he was in charge of the coaching at Victoria. Yeah. Um, and so what he'd do, he'd, he'd, he would send me off. He had this old guy called Barry. I never, I never remember what his surname was, but he had a sort of white truck. And so at the start of a week, Monday morning, we'd head off into some outback part of Victoria and um, go and teach cricket in schools and up in Mildura or Hamilton or Warrnambool, all these places. We'd chuck around all over the state. Uh, and then I'd come back on the Thursday, I suppose, have nets on Friday and play. I played great cricket on the Saturday. That's amazing. But, so you're basically workshopping around schools. Yeah, We're... but it's a total waste of my time. I, I yeah. really because I, was, I had no training program. Um, you know, if you, if you can imagine what it would have been like these days. It would have been so so well controlled, so perfectly yeah. monitored, and uh, that wasn't. And so although it was a great experience, I had a lovely time and everything else. Um, and I learnt about Australians and Australian grey cricket at a very young age. Right, uh, it's pretty brutal. I was going to say brutal. Yeah, for, for an Englishman, in the, you know, if, if there was no messing around there, and um, that was an interesting experience. Um, uh, did, did it did it shake you up, or did yeah, you learn oh, stuff? yeah, yeah, yeah it, it did shake you up a bit. Yeah, but 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 at the same time, I was I was I was too I was too naive. I, I wish that I wish I'd had that experience maybe you know three or four years later. Yeah, because it can scar you, like scar you. It's like when I touched then on cricket. I mean, I was when I was fourteen, fifteen. I was I was good enough, and my my um, games master at school said, right, you know, you go off and play your village team. I've got you a match. And they were bastards, man. They were like bowling at my head. It was a oh, fourteen-year-old yeah, yeah. boy. <laughs> I was like, okay, chill out, man. But they, it, yeah, they shouldn't have done that, should they? Yeah, exactly. And it's like, right. you know, so you, you're like eighteen in it, and in Australia, and it's too, and you know, it's too much. When you get back to the UK, like, are you? Yeah. Uh, well, back, I then I had a, I had a, a sort of a quiet two or three years. I think it's probably the right way of putting it. And uh, um, well, you know, but people remain fit, and Ken Higgs is still playing, and Les Taylor. The people who were senior to me were were, were in the side, really. Yeah. Um, but then I remember Andy Roberts um, coming and joining Leicestershire, and I was really upset about this because I I, I could see my opening place in the side. And they go and sign one of the greatest fast bowlers has ever been as the overseas player. I remember writing a very angry letter to Mike Turner, saying, "Well," and, and remember Mike <laughs> writing back saying, "Well, if you're good enough, if you're good enough, you'll still get in the side, and you'll be playing with one of the greatest bowlers has ever been." That's a good spin on it. Yeah, it was, and that's what happened. And and so I that summer opened the bowling with Andy Roberts, and that got me in the England side because, you know, although Andy was was you know, past his best then. He still had a formidable reputation, yeah. And so people would treat him as if he was bowling grenades, <laughs> and then the way, yeah. yeah, and then uh, it, it might take a bit of a chance or two at my end. And um, and I and I uh, roomed with Andy then, and I was I was his navigator, but he drove, which was terrifying. He ever, ever driven in Antigua really before, <laughs> where you, you get the occasional goat and a few ruts in the road, and that's it. But him on the M1 was terrifying. <laughs> Um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, that was interesting. 
But yeah. I learned a lot from him, and it was absolutely right. I mean, Mike was right in that um, that was the making of me, really. Mm. That got me in the England side, being bowling with Andy. And he's still a very good friend of mine. I still um, always look him up when we go to that part of the world. He's a lovely old boy. Yeah. Great bowler, great bowler. And again, one of those who was always happy to hand on advice and tips and thoughts and stuff. You, know? yeah. you, sound, like, you sound like you've got a lot of... Because um, I what I wanted to know, not in the main, but I think a lot of people that listen to TMS and, and what have you have like this, um, or at least I do, have this, I don't know, there's a lint of, a lilt of sort of like nostalgia you know that that you guys are so damn good at you know you'll start going back through the years and what have you and you you seem like now like you have a real um uh, one foot in not the past in a negative sense but with a real good sense of clarity like a real good sense of um well i think perspective you know? i think well it's interesting because i think that's important i think i think um i thought joe joe roots does something really good um as england captain uh and it's only happened in the last winter, really. He w once on every tour, or more or less, not every tour, but but certainly. I mean, I've been to. I should have gone to two, but only got to one because Emma was with me on the first tour. But he invites to an England players' evening all those on the tour who've played for England. So uh, in New Zealand, which is the one I went to this winter, uh, there's a quiz night. The England team they're raising money for Movember, I think, and I get my invitation to go along. And I am a member of the England team again. Right. And I remember um, Ollie Pope was my team captain. And uh, what it does very cleverly is it reminds those people, the youngsters, that actually, you know something, these old buggers that you see in commentary boxes, stuff, they, they, you're, all, you're all part of the same group. Yeah. You're all part of the same team. And, and they were very clever with their questions. They, my cap number is something like 50. 508 or 507 something like that and the questions because i was there and because mark Ramprakash was there actually um were geared around our sort of cap number so if jonathan agnew was cap number 508 who was 507 okay yeah and you could see them all thinking and in fact only one person got it right it was Stuart broad because it was the answer was his dad oh, so you can right, see the sort yeah. of interconnection so yeah. so so my point being and I think it's really important to have this connection with the past. And I remember sitting down having a long chat with Zach Crawley, who hadn't made his debut at that stage. And you can actually, you can relate to them in that brief time. You can relate to the players as cricketers because you are, for that brief moment, you're a cricketer again. And, and they're looking at you as a cricketer. Yeah. Um, and not as this bloke with a microphone who you know, might ask awkward questions or, or whatever. Yeah. And... And it was, I think it's a really brilliant thing that Joe's done. It really is. It's important that, that it's, so it's good, important yeah. for the, it's important for the current players to realise that, that spotlight's it's lovely while you're in it, but it's only a very fleeting period of time. Before you know it, you're that old balding so and so sitting over there, <laughs> uh, you know, oh, making yeah. a fool of himself in these questions. And and so that's why I do like a connection with with the past. And and, and I suppose the reason why we can make it easy to have that connection with the past is because we've never taken a break from it so i mean i i i was a professional cricketer in 1976 and i've basically been involved with professional cricket ever since without any breaks or you know no more than just a, a few months off here or there when i was younger yeah uh, and so you from that perspective therefore the game doesn't really change i mean people come and go yeah no, but of course. you I are guess... you are forever in it you know yeah, no, God, of course. I mean, it's it's also the, 
you can't escape the fact that we I'm like 38 I still feel like a boy most most of the time you know my wife would say the same um I act like a child sometimes. Yeah. I mean, you, do, you just, you know, you, I don't know how old you are. I'm, I, I don't know, 50. Well, whatever, 60 last week. 60 last week. <laughs> Thanks oh, for congrats. asking. Yeah. <laughs> Mate, 60 is fantastic. Yeah, That's yeah. great. Oh, man, come on. So, but uh, yeah, my point is that you, you don't feel sick. What does 60 feel like? What does oh, no, no, do? no. What, do you know absolutely. what I mean? So, no, no, no. Still, no. Yeah, you're always going to feel like you've always got yes, that do. feeling like you could just run up to the wicket and or you know yeah. that thing you could recall it recall it quite easily. Yeah, you know. I did that last last year. They put me into. It's just amazing how these things how the technology changes. I was talking about you know that my Whitbread experience and what I could have got out of it. It was done later, but I went to Loughborough to do a, a sort of a feature on all the stuff. Oops, it keeps going off that thing. Um, <laughs> I went to Loughborough where uh, to look at all their fast bowling uh, technology. Yeah, and so they did wire me up, and they put all these sensors on all over you. And it's amazing, really. Yeah, you did a documentary, and, didn't you? Or something I did a Radio yeah, Four, yeah, yeah. and it was fascinating. Yeah. But it was also humiliating because <laughs> I literally hadn't bowled a ball since 1992. Dear God. <laughs> um, and so suddenly you've got all these people there, and they're filming it, and it was a bit of fun. Actually, it's also a bit quite serious. Right. And uh, oh, I sort of creaked in and bowled until it hurt most. My hand hurt. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, my hand. And I, as a doctor on, on call, actually, he was there uh, to, to explain stuff. And I said, God, why is that? And it, he, he said it's because everything's gone to sleep. Yeah. Everything in, in your hand, all those little mini things have all gone to sleep over the years. And now suddenly you're, you're bringing it all to life. And, and so, so I bowled maybe, I don't know, 10 balls. Right. And there was no real pace there or anything. But the, 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 the best compliment was that Kevin Shine, he said you could just look straight away and know that you used to bowl. You could just look at what, right. you know, the way you do it. You could That's, tell that you yeah. were once a bowler. That so doesn't you, go away, yeah. So you never lose that. No way. But yeah. the pace was so bad, I actually had to lie to Stuart about it because I, <laughs> I sent him a message saying what I was doing. He said, oh, what's, what's the speed? What's the speed? And actually, I think it was 56. <laughs> and I, I lied and said and said 73 or something. He said, oh wow, good God, effort. No he said, way. good effort. Yeah. Oh but again, it's that competitive thing again, you see. I know, it's funny, isn't it? Like, yeah. I, I just love to see that conversation. Yeah, no, oh. seven, it was 76. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, mm. what, was the, uh, what was the next question? Yeah, mm. yeah. It was like, that's quite funny. But well, um, I suppose it's great. I'm just realizing there's just a whole ocean of stuff I want to ask you. Um, um, but I suppose it's the next step would be the England squad, you know, and, you, you know, being sent away to Wandsworth, boarding school, Australia and all that. And now, <clears throat> not luck as such, but, you know, fortune is definitely starting to turn for you. What, what was it? What can you remember that first moment you got the? I don't. Do you get England call up? Do you get someone come into a dressing room? Do you get someone come put your arm? Well, yeah, you know, we, we were playing Kent actually. We were at Canterbury. Yeah. Uh, David was captain of England, and captain of Leicester. Um, and I remember he he told me because Chris Tavares had got a recall at the same time. He was playing for Kent, so um, we were both kind of you know the, the sort of media spotlight for the day down there at Canterbury, you know, and. Um, how did I feel about it? I'm clearly, you know, ridiculously excited about it. And it is, you know, obviously a, it's, 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 it is a dream come true, but I never felt comfortable playing for England. I never really felt that I was, that I belonged. And that was because I suppose 
you know, I look at I look at young cricketers now, and you're forced to make such a quick judgment. Mm. You know, is Sam Curran going to be good enough? Is you know, what about Ben Stokes? All these things. So you see, you see cricketers like that, who immediately make an impression, and it can be good fortune, it can be a bit of luck or something that gets them going, mm. and they're away. And and there's no there's no, the, the question of oh, am I good enough for this doesn't exist. Whereas for me, I never really had that moment. I mean, I did all right in my first test, but I didn't get any wickets in the first innings. Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a hell of a test. It was the fifth test in the Blackwash series. I mean, it was a, it was a horrendous game to play in uh, at the Oval against the West Indies. And yeah, it was, it was brutal. And they were, you know, England had been hammered into submission. Uh, so it wasn't, it wasn't a great game to make your debut. But yeah, I, I did all right in the second innings. And it was, we actually didn't have too bad a game. Yeah. Um, but I never felt that I belonged. I didn't know, and I don't think I'd met Ian Botham before. And there's you've got this huge character, obviously, you know, and who sort of dominated the dressing room, and yeah. and he, he had people who sort of operated around him, like Paul Allett and Graham Fowler, and it, there was this kind of, you know, this sort of group that were very in. And they, they're mates of mine. I mean, they're good mates of mine. But at that stage, I was never in that group. It's a big weight, and, isn't it? It's like a, it's, it's like you know, it's a huge well, it's clique. massive. Yeah, it's, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't cliqued in, in an unpleasant way. No, it was just that they were all mates. They all knew each other, mm-hmm. and they were all comfortable with each other. Whereas I was looking at the see them both on there. Christ, uh, yeah. it, you know, and um, I was still very much like that, unfortunately. And what year um, was this? Sorry, that was nineteen eighty four. So the, yeah, obviously, like heading. Then I played. Like yeah, then I played against um, Sri Lanka the next Test match, yeah. which didn't go very well. It was a bad game, and Gower put him in on a beautiful day, and it was all a bit of a nightmare, really. So what do so, you put it? What do you put it down to? I mean, like your, I just don't think I was quite good enough. Yeah. No, do, I think, do you think, or do you think it's because you spoke a lot well, about Larkin and, and well, yeah, I think. Well, if I if I had if I had started better, then maybe I would have. You know, maybe I've been all right, but I mean. I went to India that winter as a as a replacement for Paul Allen, but didn't really play very much. Uh-huh. Came came back home. It was the Ashes year, eighty five, um, and I got a load of wickets. I got and I got nine wickets against Kent, which got me into the third Test at Old Trafford, and that really was my last chance. But it was a horrible game. It was a very strong wind blowing straight down the ground. It rained a lot. Right. It was a it was a nailed on draw. And I didn't get a wicket. I got naught for ninety in the game and two not out runs, and uh, and that was it. So yeah. I was I was then twelfth man for the next two games. But you just you know you do need a break. You need you do just need that little bit of luck because you it's like it's like watching anybody bowl now. Um, the worst thing you can do as a bowler is to go searching for wickets. You know, go and, and because you know, yeah. but if when you get to a stage where you know that if you don't perform, you are out. And that was the case with England in the 80s, which in one way was a good thing because it gave great incentive to county cricketers. Because it, you know, I would know if I was playing county cricket on a horrible wet Friday at Cardiff, if I got a load of wickets, I might be playing for England next week. There was, there was that sort of incentive. Yeah, definitely. So it really did. I think it was, it was excellent for county cricket, but it wasn't excellent for the people who got into the England side because they knew the guillotine was hovering. And if you didn't perform within a couple of games, you were gone, and someone else would be in. It's, and so that was, yeah. that was that was there really were revolving doors then, and and that was that was difficult. So it was very good, I think, for the competitive nature of county cricket, mm. but it was it was no real way of settling into an England side. You didn't know anybody. You never practiced together apart from the quick afternoon before the day of the game. Um, 
everyone did their own things. Experienced players. You know, it, it was all. It, it was very fractured. That's probably the best not, way of saying it. I suppose it's just not you, though, is it? It's not in your character. So it, sound, it sounds like to me like what you were seeking. It just was not international cricket. Like. Um, well, I, th- I mean, I want, I wanted it, but I, I, I didn't, I just didn't really feel, feel that, that, um, that I belonged in. I always felt that, 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 um, that people would be sort of thinking, oh, yeah, well, he's, he's not good enough, or you know, people on the side. Yeah, you know, I hadn't convinced people like Ian, um, yeah. who I didn't play against very much in county cricket, so I hardly ever played against him. So the only time I really saw me bowl was, you know, in, in those games where I wasn't quite good enough. So. Yeah. You know, I don't think I ever won people like him over as being a Graham Gooch was another who, when he became captain, was in my last throw of the dice really in the late 80s. I'd never, I'd, I'd never persuaded him that I was good enough. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it was just one of those things. I was, I'm, I'm really thrilled that I played. Mm, um, absolutely. You know, I've got, I've got my cap, I've got my sweaters and I've got my, <laughs> got my number. Yeah, but uh, I mean... It, it, it's interesting though you know because it does sound it you have to have like a philosophy on this and and a perspective and acceptance don't you and like i, I just i just think that well you really... either you, i think you are as a character you're either mm. the person who doesn't care what people think and so you are so confident so cocksure so whatever you want you know whatever expression you want to use that you frankly don't give a damn right uh and you, you get plenty of those or and I'm the other type, where you know you have to feel that you have that you're actually you know are, are good enough that people will look at you and think, yeah, he's he's good at what he does. And it was the same with going into radio, um, and and in, in those days, of course, there was no social media, so um, and in terms of feedback, well, that's never really been anything that the BBC has ever been very good at. So you know, again, you're feeling your way. Without ever really knowing if if what you're doing was you know, was 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 good enough, really, yeah, and, so and, you, and yeah. until you, until your peers respect you and um, you know acknowledge you, then um, if you're my sort of character, then you, you're always kind of looking to see. I've got to do it better. I'm not good enough. I've got to get this better. I've got to work harder at that. I've got to yeah. you know. And, and so you're coming for at it from sort of an underneath perspective rather than coming down at it which is the sort of the bull-headed types who don't give a damn they're just going to be themselves and they're, they're, they're the successful sporting types they're the ones yeah. who just come in grab it by the throat Ben Stokes Ian both and these you know there's go boom there's grab it it's, it's not it's not a bad it's, it's very, very very good trait to have it's in sport because you 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 never get knocked back you 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 are that's you know very very um Aggressive, no, but you, you, you are that sort of very forceful personality, hmm. which, you know, look at the way Ben played those two innings last summer. Christ almighty, Ben, ben Stokes, yeah. That's yeah, I mean, just, but that, that is somebody who has just got total and utter self-belief, total focus on what he's doing, not bothered at all about what the, the others are doing. Yeah. Uh, and at Headingley, he kept all of that despite the massive pressure he was under and the Australians, all 11 of them out there together, lost it. You know, that, that was the, the, the scale of, what, <laughs> yeah. of, of Ben's character. Yeah. Do you, what interests me there is the, um, you know, you've, you've talked really like candidly about, um, you know, your, I don't know, your interaction with, with the good and the bad, I suppose, of competitive sport. When you're 
now commentating you put the mic down you go and see an England player who hasn't performed and it, and you know it's their last roll of the dice <clears throat> mm. do you are you you know are you able to put your arm around their shoulder and go look mate you know this is this is the way it is and I've been there and well yes I think so well I hope so I mean I remember um at Edgebaston last year was it Edgebaston no it was at Lords last year so um I'm, I'm working around with Joe Denley here and I'm trying to think how many games he'll have played but anyway I was staying in the same same hotel as the players which doesn't happen all the time but it did happen this time and I had to get something from my car which was I think an umbrella <laughs> underground underground car park I didn't know Joe at all but he had he'd looked okay but but hadn't got the innings to get him going or whatever and he was just getting into his car which is next to mine mm. so I thought hell with this so I jumped in the passenger seat <laughs> and said hello Joe I'm Jonathan Agnew uh, fancy giving me a lift to the ground and he looked a bit surprised um but on the way, I said, come on, you know, you, you are here because you're good enough. You know, you just need that one opportunity to, to, to turn it around. You know, um, and by the, by the end of that 10 minute drive to the gate six at Lords, you're best friends. You got me, drove me into the players' car park. And, <laughs> and I remember saying to him somewhere in the winter, do you remember that conversation? He said, yeah, because he, he just played a couple of really good knocks. And so, yeah, I think it's good to be empathetic. And so when, when you get, you know, the sort of blizzard on social media of, so and so must be sacked. Go out and tell them that. Oh, and you bottled out of that interview because you didn't ask him that question. You can't. You know, there are certain things that you can't. You, you cannot ask of of human beings because a you respect them, but b you know that if if I asked half the questions that I get, I'm demanded to be asked on social media, that bloke would never talk speak to me again. Yeah. And so so it's quite difficult then to go up to him the next day. I mean, Joe Root, for instance, the England captain, I interview probably three times a week during the season. Um, a long one before the game, a shortish one at the toss, and then a live one at the end, at the end of the game, win or lose or whatever it may be, and then probably three days later, I'm doing we're doing it again, the same cycle. Yeah. So if you if you if I was to ask him something that is seriously deeply offensive, how would that relationship work? <laughs> yeah, you know, how would how would that work? It wouldn't work. So it's a real tightrope that you have to walk, where you've got to ask, you have got to ask the questions that matter. You have got to demand explanations of things going wrong. But you you ask it, and you may challenge the answer, but then you move on, and you can't simply you know, hammer away at stuff, at negativity, because the next time you walk up to that bloke with a microphone, he's, not, he's, he's going to tell you to bugger off. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> he he yeah. just is. I mean, just as I would you know, with a journalist in my day when I was playing, if, if, if he offended me or written something I thought was was... was you know, unpleasant or unkind or or unfair. Yeah. Like, Go away! I don't want anything to do with you. So you yeah. have to. So you do have to. You, you are living on this very strange sort of precipice, especially especially doing what I do. If you're, if you're a newspaper man, uh, you can get away with it because you're in a press conference and there's fifty of you, and so you can sit at the back and just jot the questions, answers down. There you go. But when you're doing one-to-one interviews, yeah, that's a, that's you've got to be really careful and very balanced about the way that you. You ask those questions. It's easy when you're winning, of course. Um, But when you're losing and the captain's under pressure, you know, it's it's, it's, it's a difficult relationship to to maintain. No, of course. I think, but the other thing is, I think it's um, the generation we live in that people are asking those questions and wanting that raw, visceral um, interaction. But in reality, if you love cricket, 
and you know cricket, you already know what's going on. Like you yeah, already know. Well, that's true. Yes. You know. You I mean, know it, why men are collapsing or what have you. Yeah. So the angry, the angry stuff is, you know, he's got to put it away. But you yeah. know, at the end of the day, you're still dealing with with human beings who are trying their best um, and who are trying to perform. And if you know, if they're not good enough, well, they're not good enough, and then whatever. But again, you've got you've got to be hopefully good enough to work out whether it's a poor run of form, whether they're playing in the wrong position. Yeah. Um, you often hear stuff afterwards um, uh, about a player who's been struggling. Everyone comes piling in. There's a disgrace. There's this and that. And you only find out maybe two or three weeks or maybe a month later, you get slipped the quiet word. Actually, his wife's pregnant and she's having a really hard time and, and she was touch and go. Uh, you know, and you think, oh, crikey. And there was people, there's us saying, well, terrible shot there by so-and-so. You know, and, I, and they've got actually lives going on at the same time. So, well, it blows my yeah. mind that that does happen. I mean, when, mm. when whenever we have like Glenn, Glenn McGrath Day, or oh yeah, um, not Glenn McGrath Day, um, his his wife, sorry, um, who passed away, uh, the Ruth Strauss one, yeah, Andrew Strauss, yeah, Ruth Strauss last last um, last summer, and and you know that God Almighty, it's sport. You know, yes. it's oh it's, yeah. It's it, great. Yeah. We love it to pieces, but they're humans. Yeah. You know, yeah. these are absolutely, and especially they're, they're in same as same as everybody else. And uh, by far, by ninety nine percent of the people I deal with in, in cricket are, are really decent people. They are yeah. the, the players, men's team, women's team, the, the administrators. They're there because they care. And you might not agree with them, and no. you might you challenge what they're doing, and you might say, "Well, actually, I think that's a bad decision," or whatever it may be, but. They're not doing it for any other reason other than they think that it's that they're doing the right thing, and that's you know, that's what you can ask, really. Um, I do want to. I'm aware of the time you've given me 50 minutes so far. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, it's fine. I've got nothing okay. else to do. <laughs> okay, great. Because obviously TMS is where I've. Um, <clears throat> I was thinking about. I've been thinking about TMS for constantly for about a week. Um, and it's so funny, and I'm my memory is horrific. It is absolutely horrendous. And I'm trying to think of some of the greatest moments that have have filtered and stayed with me over the years. And I think, and I, I'm not just saying this because it was last summer, but I think the World Cup final, with your your unbelievable commentary um, in that final over, I can't remember whether it was the. Um, the super over or the one prior to it. I can't remember. So <laughs> the one where you're going, run Rashid, run Rashid. Oh, that was, yeah. <laughs> my, my God. That is, it's, it, it yeah. has, well, it's, it's so iconic. Can you I, remember yeah. being in that moment? Oh, like, yes, I can. I mean, it was, the, the ending was really hard because um, I was a bit stitched up on sports personality of the year because the, the last run out, Guptill, the last ball, you know, we are 80 yards away up behind glass and, the batsman's diving for the crease at the far end and it's all kicking off. And you couldn't see from, he could not possibly see from our end that he was a yard out of his ground. So you're trying to buy about time. The umpire obviously went for a review. He didn't give it out either. But on, on, on sports personality, they played my commentary over the video in which they played a side-on shot. So you could see, you could see pretty clearly from that perspective that he was out. But, you know, so I, that was a bit strange. But it was one of those commentary, I mean, what I liked about that last hour was that it wasn't just it wasn't just the commentary of the cricket, but it was the whole event, and it was the crowd, and it was the sweet Caroline, uh, and all of that. And you're trying to get you're trying to take people to where you are, and that's what that's what radio commentary is. I mean, it's different different to TV 
and that TV it's on your screen and you are you know it's there you're watching. Radio is completely different. Radio you've got to grab those people and take them there, and that does give a little bit of license sometimes because you've got to build something up a bit. You've got to really work on the imagination of those listeners who aren't such there. Such a skill. Such a skill. Well, it's 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 a it's it's something that you know it's just, it, it, it is different. It 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 is it's a different discipline i mean i i'm i'm rubbish at, at television commentary i mean i did it uh, yeah I'm, I'm a, you know what you are you are one or the other there's only person ever who i think really accomplished both from a commentary perspective is tony cozier who would who would go between radio and telly commentating ball by ball and, and be brilliant at both most people don't know what they are yeah, you are a radio commentator or you're a tv commentator because they, it, they are just so so very different but that you know that was amazing i mean i still think that ben stokes Headingly one was my favourite one because yeah, that was extraordinary. because there was so many things going on in there and the ashes on the line. Any, anyone could win a Super Over, but when Jack Leach walked out to join Ben, England had probably one percent chance of winning. Australia ninety nine percent chance of of re- retaining the ashes, and all of that. And so, therefore, what Stokes did was unbelievable, and. So that one for me actually sticks out. And you had the drama of of the, the run out where Lyon dropped the ball. You had that umpire's decision where the ball was hitting middle stump and gave it a nod out. Umpire Wilson. And so that that would be my that would be my favourite one. But I'll never we'll, we'll never have someone like that again. You know, it was, no. it was and to be able to be commentating on both. I mean, I owe a lot to Adam uh, Mountford, my producer for. Yeah. For, for putting me on and telling me to stay on, you know that was the way it was done. And, but that, that, that's um, like, that's how we wanted it. As a, as a, as, a, as I could I can tell you right now about you know many many people in my life that love TMS. That that was where's Agus for Christ's sake? We need him. Uh, Bring him on. We, we need well, a steady nice, hand. You, know, you can still you can still get things wrong, and that, that's where actually the replaying the heading the the in test in its entirety last week. Yeah, I know. Was yeah. actually, although people enjoyed listening to it, it was great. Actually, it was, it was so good for us who work on the programme because we never get to hear it, obviously. You never get to hear yourself. I, all I ever hear of me is clips. I'll hear Ben Stokes smashing the four to win, the, you know, to win the, that test match. I'll hear the, the, the run out, um, you know, the World Cup final. You hear the 30 seconds. You don't hear the 20-minute segments. And so, actually, I mean, I sat glued to it and really, I hope, tried to be very analytical about what I was doing, about how I was speaking, clarity of the way that you speak, um, how often you give the score, right, uh, all, yeah, yeah. all those sort of things. It was a, it was a really excellent thing for us to do, do you, as well. How do you rate yourself? How do you think you get performed? Well, there were things that surprised you. And what I was saying to Emma actually afterwards, in that although it's all totally unscripted, totally live, totally unprepared, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen, um, I found myself almost knowing what I was going to say sometimes next because there's still that sort of trigger in the brain that's, that, that puts you into a certain direction, even though I was sitting here and wasn't actually watching the cricket at all, of, of course. But there's still something that made your brain go off into that, that direction. Oh, the things I, I can speak. I speak too quickly sometimes, and I, and I do swallow my words sometimes. Um, I can see why people get frustrated when the commentators talk over each other. And that happens on radio because we have 
different microphones to television. T- television has a lip microphone, so you pick it up to speak and put it down again. Yeah, yeah. Whereas radio is being much more conversational. You just have these microphones in front of your mouth and they're open all the time. So, you know, people can talk over you, and that's very frustrating. And that's something I'm really going to try and you know eradicate next time we we get together because well, it is it is it is annoying. It's just annoying when you have two people talking over each other. It sounds rubbish. That's funny. So, I never really noticed that before. Um, ever, yeah. I mean, but then again, I'm very biased, you know. I'm yeah. incredibly biased. I just, um, I don't, I don't think like, um, I don't think an interview with with you would probably be complete unless we talked slightly about your your <laughs> your co-commentator, Mr. Jeff Boycott. Oh yes, um, the legend that is. I, I, I can imagine if I was to ever get a convers- an interview with him, I, I would probably my heart rate would be pr- probably quite high. He he seems like someone that really doesn't suffer fools. No, at, he doesn't at all. He doesn't. He doesn't you suffer know? fools gladly at all. And and I felt sorry for one or two commentators who have been sort of put with him, uh, who who's you know there are obvious areas perhaps they weren't you know on top of the game shall we say um and um and so jeffrey would, would sort of you know he, he, he might be a bit brutal with them you still there i'm, I'm still here yeah i've got i've got a call i'm just going to um decline that there we go um but 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 jeffrey and i have always got on extremely well and that's what goes back to our playing days well, how do you think um, that chemistry works? I mean, I know you. It's just. I, don't know. I think. Well, I bizarre. think. I tell you why I think it works is because I had again going back to those England days when I was playing and my, you know, Ian Botham's and stuff. I just had. You know, I, I revered him really. Yeah. And so, therefore, when I played against him, um, I loved bowling at him, and I was, you know, I was bowling at Jeff Boycott. Um, and we did have a bit of banter, I and mean, there was some hostility in our bowling bouncers and everything else. But I. Yeah, there were quite a lot of people who weren't very nice to Jeffrey, and, and it, perhaps some of, the, some of that might have been his own fault. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, I was always—I think I was always quite kind to Jeffrey because I just admired him, and you know, I know his weaknesses just like he'd know mine. But um, I've always—I've always respected Jeffrey, and he's always respected me. So yeah, the more human side of him, you, you could you're yeah. able to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We've we've always we've always just got on well, and. Um, you know, we banter away. I, I have, I have quite enjoyed our exchanges listening back to that Headingley game again. I mean, he was on good yeah. form actually. Yeah. And like, again, because you don't hear them, you don't, you don't hear those exchanges. Um, and I, he does obviously let me get away with quite a lot with him, um, which, which, which is, which, which is great because I think he knows if people are laughing uh, along, you know, with with us, with Jeffrey, yeah. then that actually makes him a bit of a softer character as well. Oh God! Of course. I mean, you it's know, a journey. It's, the people, the people don't listen to TMS necessarily. I know people that don't. They listen to it. It's nothing to do with the cricket. They just want to listen to you. To, you guys. Yeah, talking, having a banter. You know? I mean, it, yeah. But he, 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 you know, he. The Jeffrey, he's totally professional. He has always got something to say. He's always, he's always got an analytical point to make. He's always, yeah. People say that he's negative, and he's always having a go. But the trouble with doing that that job properly that he has to do, it is about, in a batsman's case, explaining what the batsman's done wrong to get out. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it is. Right. It is. Sometimes it is a good ball. Jeff would say, you know, take your hat off. You know, the bowler's allowed that. Blah, blah. But usually, usually, it's down to a mistake, a batsman's mistake. Yeah. And Jeffrey is brilliant at pointing out what that error is and what that batsman has to do to get it right. And if the next game that same batsman does the same thing again 
then Jeffrey will say, you know, he'll, he'll get a little bit harder on it. And if he does it again in the following game, he'll say, well, you know, what could you say? You know, he's, he's, he's you know, yeah, he's, he's, he's got the yeah. brains of a pork pie, you know, <laughs> and, and you can see what he, why he's frustrated because he can see what the problem is. Yeah, of course. Yeah. But, yeah, but but then you throw in the other side. So, how long, Jeffrey? You know, unfortunately, they haven't got any games between the test matches. You know, <laughs> when are they supposed to work at this? You know, he can probably knows what the fault is. So you've got to try and throw it in. You know, try and balance things up a bit. But but Jeffrey is is brilliant at analysing a batsman's weaknesses. Yeah. And because he was so technically uh, strong himself, yeah. uh, and such a such a massive analyst of his own game, that he he can analyse other people's. And just, I mean, I, I can remember um, a while ago now. Um, I was in, I was, I was in my bedroom. I think it was when possibly I'd be completely wrong here, but when uh, Channel Four were the two hundred five Ashes, um, yeah. And I had obviously you had the TV on mute. You got t- and you've got TMS on. That's just that's the rules. Um, if you've got any sense at all, and. I think it was a lunchtime thing and you guys were paying tribute to CMJ, a Christopher Martin Jenkins. And um, it, it, I don't, I'm, I can't remember quite when it would have been so five. It, it would have been, no, he died later than that. Yeah. And I could just quite vividly remember being, being in my bedroom and you guys playing the, some of the service in the church. Oh yes. And oh my God, I was blown away. I moved yeah, yeah. to tears immediately. Um, and of course, between I think you and you and him for me you guys I would say Christopher's and you are probably the voice of summer you know and what what was what was he like uh, to, oh well, Chris Chris with? Chris Chris was a, Chris never lost the amateur love of the game that I had when I was younger because Chris was never a professional cricketer so Chris really felt so strongly about the game he you know if you if you play if you play a sport professionally. You do become cynical. You, you, you do look at the sport in a different way because it's your job, hmm. and and so you find shortcuts around it. You try and bend rules. You, you, you know, you, you look at the game differently. Whereas Chris never, he never lost that, you know, sort of teenage love for cricket, and which is very important because he wrote, you know, he would write great long screeds of things in the Telegraph and the Times about stuff that we'd look at and think, oh, blimey, CMJ's off on one here, a thousand <laughs> words on something you think was utterly trivial. Right. But actually, it wasn't. It was, it was important. It was important for the game. It was important for the grassroots of the game or the universities or minor counties or, you know, and Christopher never lost sight of that. Um, I often think about Chris. Um, yeah, he, he, he cared. He cared so deeply, so deeply about the game. Um, uh, you know, he, he just that was, you know, that was his his great thing. He was a lovely commentator, very measured. God, beautiful voice, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, no, we, we do. You know, the hardest part, if I'm honest, with my job is doing obituaries of friends, and that's the that's the real that's how Fred Truman died actually during a game at Headingley. Good God! Yeah. And that was that was in the morning, and by lunchtime we had to do his obit live, and that was tough. Yeah, because Fred was a proper friend as well, and um, yeah, you kind of don't. It doesn't. It can't hit you until it's it's over. You know, the whole you just dig into some sort of strange place. Do you think that's where and, cricket is? Um, kind of, my grandfather always used to say that cricket's a game of life, and and you you do spend a lot of time on your own playing cricket. You know, you really do in the field, on the boundary, or even, okay, unless you're in the slips, whatever, but you do get a lot of time to think. 
And I think that's where life tends to mirror cricket, you know, because um, you do end up reminiscing a lot. You know, you can yeah. almost view life from the boundary, you know, and, and your friends and, you, you know, some... It's, extra- it's an extraordinary thing. Cricket. If you get cricket people together, they will talk about cricket. Yeah. They will just talk about cricket. And there might be all sorts of random things, but that will be the subject. Yeah. And, and, and you will not be able to get them away from, from talking about cricket. And that's, yeah. that's a nice thing. And that's really what Test Match Special is. You've got people there who, you know, who just talk about cricket. And, um, and you know, you sort of wander off into some strange areas sometimes. But that's brilliant. But, that's um, the magic of TMS, isn't it? When you yeah. guys really go off on one, I'd absolutely yeah. love it. Like Jim Maxwell, when he'll just, oh. he'll just start going on and you just you just know, right, I mean, I'll be working outside or whatever and um, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I won't even look at my clock for like a couple of hours because I know you just guys are just taking us We're on off. a wonderful journey. Yeah, well, that's what's fantastic. nice about working overseas too. I mean, working, uh, you know, TMS is obviously what you hear here. But working in Australia on yeah. ABC, um, so I'll, I'll do TMS and they go to the next door box and Jim will, you know, Jim and I will swap if you like and, and he'll come onto TMS. But on the ABC, I'm not the correspondent. Yeah. So whereas on the on TMS, you know, uh, I'm the correspondent, therefore you, you know, with that comes a certain, uh, you got to be a bit, a bit more careful, shall we say. Yeah. On ABC, you can just go for it because you're just a visiting pom, <laughs> and so you can really, you can really let your hair down there and have a, and yeah. have a great time, right? And, yeah, and right. take the Mickey out, Australians, and uh, you know all the things that you wouldn't really do on, like I wouldn't really do on TMS, but you know they, they I think the great, the great tribute really you can pay to Test Match Special is that is that ABC sort of kind of copy it and. Uh, radio sport new zealand the copy it you know it is it is the proven formula yeah um, and and it, and it works what would you i mean because obviously that you and brian johnson have the the, the classic you know oh stop mm. it Aggers, you know and that kind of wonderful i mean it's you know it's just, it's just a golden moment but i i've always said as a saying i have or not saying I, I, i'm not that profound but I've always found in my 38 years that life is it's really important to a bit like that your Roger Kipling poem if like you know to to sometimes just raise your head above the parapet when everything's just okay not when it's really bad don't self analyze when when everything's really bad or or get too carried away with everything when it's absolutely brilliant just keep your head when when it when things are good just look around and go this is this is just good this is good this is nice are there any moments TMS commentary, or that you've just had a sense of looking around you and just gone, ah, this is this is good. Well, I think when England were winning those games, you know, yeah. we're having we're getting the number one in the world. Um, oh, thanks. I've got a cup of coffee coming. Thank you, sweetheart. <laughs> um, that 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 was that was good because uh, you know everyone was getting along well. Mm. There was no real friction. Um, it was before all the KP stuff started up, uh, which was a really bad time. Um, that just tore the game apart, really, and it was dreadful. Um, so I think leading up to that, the 10-11 Ashes in Australia, that was probably the time which um, it, it was, you know, in my time, it was probably the time to be working on, actually, on, on TMS because it was... It was a really happy time, and they say England was successful. There were uh, you know, the, the team were a nice, nice set of lads, you know, and and they weren't under that much. 
they weren't getting a hammering from the press or anything you know it was, it was just yeah I think probably that was that was probably the best yeah I mean but last last summer still was last last summer was interesting because there was a lot of tension you know England had to win the World Cup I remember doing all the preview stuff at the start saying this is the summer that's going to define the future of English cricket for the next generation. You know, and this, therefore, you know, whether, whether that's true or not, who knows, but you know, it felt like it. And so when England suddenly started to look as if they might not actually get there after all, uh, oh, that got really pretty ugly, very tense. The games were very tense. The atmosphere was tense. Um, and then, you know, there's a disappointment of, of edge bastion that first test match which England should have won really yeah um so although there were massive moments in it in that summer two or three in the world cup that were great um and of course Bennett Headingley even though the Headingley won of course it made but made the game what it was but there was also during the course of that game a, a, a horrific batting collapse by England that that again reminded you of all their, their failings and so you know, there, there was a lot of tension around then as well. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, Joe Root and I were very sparky during the course of that um, that game. And in fact, funnily enough, when they replayed it, um, Matt Root, his dad, who I'm, who I'm a good mate with, I, he, Matt and Helen are a lovely couple, actually. And that, that's a nice relationship because they know that I've got my job to do and they get on with them very well. But anyway, there was, there was a, in the course of that game, Matt, um, Joe rather, threw me the filthiest look. I mean, really... You know, it was just one of those where just daggers could have killed me. And Matt yeah. got in touch as a call, and we were chatting away, sort of, you know, on WhatsApp or whatever. I said, "Come on!" At the end of the game, when 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 I've interviewed Joe, let's have a let's have a drink. So we, <laughs> at the end of the game, we fired up the FaceTime or whatever, and um, and the Roots and the Agnews had a couple of drinks to celebrate that that <laughs> win. And that's 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 really nice. But it, it was a reminder that you know that that game wasn't all plain sailing by any means. It, and it did kind of make the game what it was and made it even more extraordinary to win it. Yeah. But again, if you were talking about when it was just, yeah, okay, let's settle back and just enjoy the ride. That would have been around that 9, 10, 11, going that sort of time, I think. Yeah. God, that's fantastic. I just saw Emma in the background there. Oh, yeah. And um, I've got to say, it's a wonderful journey, like, for you guys that you've been through. You know, you got through the storm together. Yeah, and yeah. you're out the other side. Um, well, she's 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 incredible. I mean, she's and she's going to work most days at the moment because she's she's BBC in Nottingham, so yeah. she's responsible for um, television output there, East Midlands. Yeah. So she's going off to work and doing all that, and you know, no, she's she's a brilliant example of how to how to go about cancer treatment. I think, and you can use words like fight, which are wrong because everybody fights. Yeah, but it's the attitude. It's the very positive attitude that she had that if ever i get in that situation um i shall try and try and recall you know because you do have some very bleak moments um and what people are how people are coping at the moment i just i just hate to think because a lot of serious decisions being made about about sort of new cancer patients uh that are you wonder if they're actually the best for them, but because there's so much focus, obviously, on on the on the virus, that um, yeah. 
you know, so much space being freed up. I mean, it's, it's some. I think some really difficult decisions are being made. And it's the darkest uh, time, isn't it? it yeah, really is. I mean, thank God we weren't going through it then, but we do know people who are going through it now. And the specialist who's after Emma is amazing, you know, amazing team. They all turned out to be cricket fans. That was the great thing because they're all, <laughs> all, all her cancer specialists were all first generation Indians. Okay, yeah. And so we had uh, Monica, who was a specialist who we saw first of all. Um, and the great thing about them is they never mentioned it at the time, you see. So they had Monica. Uh, <laughs> then we had Kieran, who's her oncologist, uh, who's from Hyderabad, uh, or Leicester, of course. And so, again, the treating who is cancer, you know, not hardly talking to me, obviously. It's all, it's all Emma. They want to, that's, all, that's the whole point. And then only towards the end, when we got through it, they, they both revealed themselves separately as being, <laughs> being you know, loving cricket. And Monica, <laughs> in fact, well, I managed to get Kieran... I got Kieran to an Indian test match at Lord's to come in the commentary box. And, of course, he just jaw just dropped. It was Saurav Ganguly. I think Sachin Tendulkar was around. And you know, all these people, he was just going, oh, my God. It's amazing. <laughs> this is a man who saves lives, who saved yeah. my wife's life. You get him in the in the TMS box, and he's like a sort of a gibbering idiot. I got him in the Sky, <laughs> in the, in the sky Envision studio. And he's sitting next to yeah. David Gower. You know, you think, this man is making literally life and death decisions yeah and yet here he is at a cricket match and he's just and and then monica came to came to the world cup final because like all indians of course she assumed india would be in it and win it (laughs) and i got emma actually was sitting near to monica in the man stand and monica came down she had her india shirt on but she was waving uh, england flags obviously like all indians were on, on on that day and it was just great that they, that the professionalism and everything else, that it was just, you know, when we were dealing with them on a professional level, it was just dealing with Emma and just dealing with, mm. with, with the awful thing that you know, she was going through. Yeah. And yet, then yet underneath it, underlying it all was a love of cricket. And that's kind of, it's really lovely. You know, it's, it's, it's all there. Yeah. That, that is extraordinary. But mm. I, th- I think it's just what, what you're kind of describing there is kind of what what's what tms what cricket what means to so many people and i i'm wondering whether you know when you were showing those guys the doctors around the commentary boxes and stuff whether you were just like i did the biggest grin in your face to be able to to be oh, able to yeah. bring them something absolutely you know? i mean to see particularly kieran you know having his pictures with gangu and everyone else you know to see that this man uh who you know, a year before, you know, we were treating as as a god, because he's got, you know, when, once you start dealing in the world of cancer, you're dealing with words that are about sort of, you know, thirty letters long and all and unpronounceable. You're lost and your head's swimming, and it's all yeah. very frightening. And there is this, well, you know, in the oncology case, is him, who is, um, well, he's. Yeah. Kind of wielding all the power or doing whatever he can do. He's 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 the person who's got who's got her life in his hands. And the next minute he's down there running around like a schoolboy at Lord's. Yeah, it's, it's brilliant. That's yeah, lovely. Yeah, it, it's such a very weird, profound, palpable sense, isn't it? That fear. My my mother got it um, breast cancer when when I must have been about fourteen or fifteen, and she would she was diagnosed with it. She came home. Um, and I was the first person she saw, and I still I can still see her now when she came in the hallway and just broke down oh. on the on the steps. And I was the first person to see her, and um, and we always have that bond. Um, my dad yeah. died when I was when he was fifty, so I was twenty two, wow. and he passed away. And again, yeah. her and I have this huge bond through it. And I'm I'm imagining that you and Emma now have like this, it's this bond. A, 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 
I don't know. If oh, I think so. Knows. I think once you have been through that, I mean, I think mm. yeah, it does. It does make you. Yeah, I say my, my respect for her, and she's sitting here now. So she's got me slightly stitched up, but, <laughs> but she knows. You know, she 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 knows. You know, she knows what it was. What it was. You know, for her to get through that, and her attitude towards it, and so on was. It, so it was. It was the model way, and I know that. In, in some, you know, she, she she was fortunate in that the, the chemotherapy, apart from obviously losing her hair with all that stuff, which is dreadful, mm. but she was never really ill on the chemo. Whereas a lot of people we saw were in a wretched state, you know, and that's, mm. yeah. It, it, does it make it easier to cope with? Well, I guess it does a bit if you can get up and go for a walk and not feel wretched. You've still got all the mental side of it and the fact that you've, you're still trying to be cured of cancer. Yeah. But, you know, to see people really, really ill and, and then some, you know, they're still going to work, you know. You know, extraordinary. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, just a couple, maybe a couple more minutes if you yeah. if you can. I just wonder how you're, because I've, I've interviewed quite a few people on this lockdown. And uh, it is a, it's a daydream. It's a very weird situation we're all in. What, and how, how is it going for you? You're, well, lockdown for me, if I'm honest, is, is no different to a normal April, really, because April is my quiet month. And April is the time that I, I come back from, you know, we've been away nearly well, 10 weeks, I think, this winter, getting on for three months. If we'd gone to Sri Lanka, it would have been three months. Um, and then, of course, there's, you know, all the summer before that, when we're away, although you know, the cricket's at home, but you know, we're still away from our home a lot. Yeah. And so April and the first two weeks of May are usually the time just for you know, reacquainting yourself with the dogs and being at home and, and just taking a, taking a breath. So, actually... Um, you know, apart from not being able to go and see friends and then not coming be able to come and see you. Yeah. Um, I suppose the cricket not... season is going to take an absolute kicking, isn't it? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I know they are determined that they're going to, going to get some cricket. They are they're mm. going to do it. I think Sky have been really good and they're not not chasing them for the money. I and mean, this is the first summer of a £1.1 billion four-year deal. Um, was it five years? It might be five years, actually. Yeah. Um, but anyway, it's still it's what one point one billion, um, and um, you know there's a lot of pressure to get you know, to get your money back, isn't it? When you pay that sort of money out, but I think Sky so far are not putting pressure on them, which is great. Yeah, I think what they're going to try and do is just get as much international cricket as they can played, and something like the the Blast, which yeah. which which people enjoy, and then just take a deep breath and and hope that we can do you, we can move do, on from there. Do you have any idea how? And I'm I'm one of them. How how many people are going to be close to tears when they first hear your, you you guys back on TMS again? Right? Well, I think it'll be incredible, won't it? Yeah. Because even even the replay of Headingley, there were a quarter of a million people listening to the last day online. Good, good they weren't even listening on radios; they were listening online. Quarter of a million, <laughs> and it was an amazing sunny day, and people were sitting outside, and it was just like it was on that day because that was a beautiful yeah. day. Yeah. And so, you know, the program is company. The program is companionship and you know we're on for seven hours a day or whatever it is banging on and and so you are that background uh, background accompaniment music noise to people's lives and so yeah. that is very important and while obviously um sport is not important at the moment there'll become a time when it actually will be important again and it'll be very much part of the getting everybody out of this 
very strange state that we're all in now and it'll play a leading part in getting some normality back to people's lives and so i don't know about playing behind closed doors i, I that feels a bit like sport for sport's sake and right, and yeah. and how how do you socially distance yourself if you're members of a team or members of a commentary team or how how would that actually work that, that feels a bit sterile to me because sport is about is about camaraderie it is about crowds it is about noise it is about atmosphere it's it, it i think you need that but there, there will come a time i mean there'll be some there'll be some this year and um and that'll be it'll be a great sign on two things a, a that that actually hopefully things are good enough for sport to start again yeah and it'll be a second thing as a reminder of how important in my case cricket is to to people's lives and for, for everyone to tune back in again and to and to pick things up. Yeah, you know what, Jonathan, you're going to hear this a billion times before you know you go back on air. But I mean this from from my heart that it's going to be a, a very awesome thing to hear you guys back on TMS and have it all. To have well, when that back when well. Soul Limbo starts up, wherever yeah. we are, I'll be out there on the on the pitch. It'll be coming up towards the toss, <laughs> yeah. and Joe Root will be hovering. He'll have his cap on, his blazer on. I don't know who the opposition captain will be. Yeah. Whether you're West Indian or a Pakistani or whatever it may be, but it'll be one of those two, I guess. Yeah. And uh, it'll be it'll be amazing because you'll look round and hopefully it'll be a ground full of people, and you just know. I mean, it's always like that that theme tune anyway is is special. Mm. Um, but um, I think you can bet your life that it'll be there'll be a little bit of a lump in the throat when uh, when I'm, the, I'm the honestly, first I'm, verse ends and the, and I pick up. Yeah, I'm welling up now. I, I, <laughs> just listening to you saying that now, I'm like, oh god, am I gonna am I gonna start crying? For, no, on, well, on Skype. save it, save it for the day. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, good luck with it. I hope it goes yeah. well. Then good luck to you. Yeah, and, and enjoy your garden and your wine. Okay, we will. Yeah, don't worry about that. And, Listen, just try craft beer, okay? Just give it a tiniest go. <laughs> I think I'm too. I think I've got too old for. Can you imagine me drinking beer? There no. Are some Emma's serious, shaking her head. There are some serious. I, you know I'm what, not a what, beer man. I'm going to send you some to the no. TMS commentary box you one day. See. Just, just see what. She you said, think. I'm not really a fizzy drink. I'm not really a fizzy drinks man. Am I really? No. Not even champagne. Oh, there's ales that are beautiful <laughs> as well, Jonathan. Anyway, okay. yeah. Pleasure. Have a nice, yeah. have a nice, um, have a nice afternoon, and um, yeah, good to talk you to you. Too. Thanks so much, Haggis. Go well. Bye bye. Bye bye.